Hello there. Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! The story of the prodigal son is the story of a son who has a wealthy father. He goes to his father and says, listen, dad, I know you have a lot of money, and I know when you pass away, I stand to gain a large inheritance, um, but I would rather you go ahead and give me my money now so I can do with it what I want. Well, the father concedes, and he gives his son his share of the inheritance, and as soon as the check clears, the son packs his stuff up with no intention to ever return home. And the text tells us he goes to a far distant land. While he is in this distant land, he begins to systematically distribute his money on wild women and reckless living. The Bible tells us that he ran out of money. And at the same time he was running out of money, a severe Food shortage hit the land that he lived in, and so he had no money, he had no food, he was starving to death, and he takes on a job feeding pigs in a pig pen. And we have been in the pig pen with him for the last couple of weeks, and this will also serve as our launching point for today. So to begin with, let me read you the most monumental verse of the text. We've been in this verse every week. It's verse 17 of Luke chapter 15. And we've really been honing in on this phrase. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? But when he came to himself, the NIV says, When he came to his senses. Warren Wearsby says of this verse that this is a picture of biblical repentance. And I think he's right. That phrase, he came to himself, he came to his senses. Uh, To repent means to change one's mind. And that's exactly what the young man did while feeding these pigs. He changed his mind about his circumstances. And where the mind leads, action follows. Because to repent also means to change directions. And so his actions are about to follow the change in his mind. With the groundwork down, let's go to our text. We'll be in Luke chapter 15, and today we'll be looking at verses 20 through 24. Verse 20. This is right after it says he came to his senses and he arose and came to his father. Let me just stop right there real quickly and talk about biblical repentance. So the picture we have is he walked out on his father. He walked away from his father. But then he had a change of mind that's also going to change his direction because he arose and he started walking back towards his father. See, that's biblical repentance repentance. The text continues, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. The son said to him, 
Father, I have sinned against heaven before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So if we could just pause right there, there's this confession to prove his repentance, his change of heart. Jesus said, in the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And this is what's going on in his heart. He wants to tell his father he has sinned before heaven and before him. It shows you the evidence of the repentance that's, go, that's taking place. But his father cuts him off. He doesn't even let him, let him finish his speech. Verse 22. But the father said to the servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. So in my lifetime, I've heard a lot of sermons uh, on this very text that we're in this morning. Uh, and the avenue that, that's usually taken with this particular passage is to really focus on verse 22 and through 24. And these are the verses that describe the gifts that the father bestows on his son. These are gifts that the father gives him even after the son rebels and wastes all the father's money. And so we have a tendency to focus on these gifts and the significance of them. The, the ring represents this. The robe represents this. The sandals represent this. Uh, the, the big soiree with the fattened calf and the finest food and beverage represent this or that. And so one could say that, that everything the prodigal son had hoped to find in that far country, he discovered when he got back home. Clothing, jewelry, friends, joyful celebration, love, and assurance for the future. And I believe all of that is true because all of these, are, all of these gifts are expressions of the Father's love. And I think that would be a great sermon. But the sermon we're going to focus on is going to be a little different. Because if we were to preach that sermon, we would be focusing on the nouns and I want to focus on the verbs. Think about the verses we read about the rings and the robes and the celebration. They focus on people, places, and things. His father gives him a ring. That's a thing. That's a noun. Gives him a robe. That's a thing. Sandals. A calf. Those are things. We're going to have a party. So it's going to be at this place with these people. All nouns. Well, this morning I want to focus on the verbs in the text. A verb is a word used to describe an action. And the action we want to describe this morning is love. And so this is going to lead us to land and camp out in verse 20 of the text. So let me reread it for you. It says, And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, I love that phrase, while he was still a long way off, Alistair Begg says of that phrase, this shows the father's wonderful readiness to forgive. But what I want to do is really concentrate on what happens after the father sees him a long way off. I want to focus on the last part of verse 20. I want to focus on the verbs because... In it, we find that love is a verb. Love isn't a noun. You can't buy love with people, places, or things. It's a verb. It requires action. 
And so with that said, I want to look at the four verbs that display the Father's love, and we find them all in verse 20. The first one is simply this, he saw him. Look at verse 20. While he was a long way off, his father saw him. You know, whenever I read this verse, and it's become one of my favorite stories in the Bible, I I picture the father every morning out on his porch looking down the long, windy dirt road, looking for a cloud of dust to appear that would indicate someone was walking that way. I I can see him shielding his eyes from the morning sun. I see him back on that balcony every evening as the sun goes down, looking down that road, hoping to see his son walking home, disappointed day after day. But then... He sees him. And the point that I really want to make this morning is this. He saw him because he was looking for him. He was waiting patiently on him to come home. And we need to understand God is always looking for us. He's always looking at us. He's always watching us. Even if we are far off, he sees everything. Now, this has a tendency to freak a lot of people out, that concept, that God sees everything we do. Most of us kind of freeze up and say, everything? He sees it all. He he has seen everything I've done, every wicked, vile thing. Yeah. And so that can be scary. That can be intimidating. When I was a little boy, I remember a song uh, that was sung by George Jones and Tammy Wynette. And the title of the song was, God's Gonna Get You For That. I want to read to you a few of the lines. It says this, God's gonna get you for that. God's gonna get you for that. There's no place to run and hide for he knows where where you're at. God's gonna get you for that. God's gonna get you for that. Every wrong thing you do, God's gonna get you for that. I think this is how many people view God seeing us or how he wants us saw us. He, he is waiting to get us. I would invite you, when you think about God seeing you, to put yourself in this text. That God is like the father on the porch, patiently waiting and wanting and desiring to see you come to repentance, to see you come home. He sees us because he loves us. The second verb mentioned in the text is that he ran to him. It says he saw him in verse 20 and felt compassion and ran. Now, I've heard this picture painted um, in this way. It's always painted that in that culture, in Eastern culture, to even today, that men of wealth and men of dignity do not run. It's a very undignified thing to do. And so the illustration is often used that, that these people in this part of the world still wear robes. And so if the man was going to go running to his son, he'd almost have to pull up his robes and, and kind of run this way. And that, that was a sign of undignity and disrespect. Um, and, 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 and so that's the avenue we take. Well, even today... Unless you're in a gym or you're watching someone jogging, it's really odd to see a grown man sprinting through life, especially one that looks well put together. 
We've all been in the airport, I'm sure, before and seen some guy in a three-piece suit. He looks very good. He looks very professional, but he is sprinting to catch his flight. And most of us think, should have left the house earlier, bro. Like, now you've got a shame run through the airport. You might miss your flight and you might lose your job. Okay, so that's the avenue we often take with the run verb here. And it does make sense that, that he doesn't care about his dignity. That out of sheer love and excitement for his son, he runs. And I do think there's some definite validity to this. However, let me offer you a second reason as to why I think the father runs to him. Now, in order to do this, we need to land in the book of Deuteronomy. And we're going to land in that portion of Scripture when the average person starts reading, they, they begin to get sleepy. They go into almost a coma because this is the section of God's book that talks about the law. This is the law that God's people followed. And I want you to see this. Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 21. It says this. If a man has a stubborn and a rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and mother shall take hold of him, bring him out to the elders of the city at the gate and place at the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of the city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton. Glutton, we think of food there, but in the context, it means uh, it's, it's a, he's a wasteful person. He just overconsumes everything. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. And so what I want you to understand is this, that this was a wayward son. He was rebellious. He didn't obey the voice of his parents. He was a glutton and a drunkard. And under the law, when he walked back into town, he deserved to be stoned to death. And had the neighbors started stoning him, they would have hit the father because the father ran to him and is now at the point of hugging, covering, and embracing him. And so I think that's why the father ran to him, to protect him. This leads to the third verb, he embraced him. It's also found in verse 20 and it simply says he ran and embraced him. Now, I think he threw his arms around him for two reasons. The first of which we just talked about. Him rushing, saying, listen, don't hurt my son. I know he's stubborn and rebellious, but don't stone him. Follow my example of his father, my example of mercy. Jesus does the same for us, right? He, he covers us. We, the wages of sin is death. We, we deserve to be put to death, but Jesus runs to cover us. The Bible uses the analogy of being clothed with Christ, covered with Christ, over and over and over again. Uh, we only have time. I'll refer you to Galatians 3.27, which simply says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You have clothed Christ. You are covered by Christ. No one can hurt you. You see, the law is shouting, punish him, punish her. But mercy triumphs. And we're covered. 
The second reason I think he hugged him, just to be quite honest with you, is he was happy to see his son alive. He says as much in verse 24. My son, I thought he was dead, but he is alive. He was lost, but now he's found. Let us celebrate. Notice what he didn't do. When the son, when he sees the son from far off and he runs to him, he didn't stop right in front of him and say, well, 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 look who came crawling back home. I knew you'd be back when you ran out of money. Look at you. You're filthy. You are disgusting. Is that pig manure? You smell awful. Do you know what an embarrassment you are? Do you know what you've put your mother through? Do you know how much shame you've brought to my house? Do you know how much money I gave you and you blew it all? Do you know how much you've wasted your life? And here you are, covered in pig manure, broke. Go in the house and clean yourself up before your mother sees you like this. No, that's not what he does. The Bible says he embraces him. So there are hugs and then there are hugs, right? So there are hugs that are kind of awkward. Remember yourself as a little kid and, and, and once a year your great Aunt Bertha came to visit you and brought you Christmas presents. And so you didn't really know her. She was kind of a strange great aunt to you. But every year you were forced to hug her because if you didn't hug her, you weren't going to get that present. So you tried to get, you know, hug her but stay as far away from her as possible. There's those types of hugs. And then there is there are hugs, man. I'm talking about raw, emotive hugs. One of the things I love to watch is, are these videos where they'll have a soldier that's deployed and, and they'll bring that soldier home uh, and, and the, the family doesn't know the soldier's coming home and it's kind of this big elaborate surprise and then when that soldier comes walking out and, and his or her family sees them, they run to them and it is, this is the hug we're talking about here. Raw emotion. Man, the real hug. It's the hug that says, I am so happy that you're okay. I have missed you. My heart was incomplete without you, but now you are home. You are safe. You are with me. That's the kind of embracing that's going on here. And I have to tell you this. This is just a side note for, for men in here. Man, I, I hug all five of my kids every day. I want them to know that that. that their earthly father's not perfect, but their heavenly father is. I want them to know that their earthly father loves them no matter what they do, and they have a heavenly father that loves them even beyond that capacity. I want them to know that they're loved and they're safe with me. The last verb used in verse 20 is after he saw him and ran to him and embraced him. It says, and he kissed him. And he kissed him. One of the songs that we sing here on a regular basis is the song, How He Loves. The song was written by John Mark McMillan. Now, I don't know the inspiration behind the song. My guess is it's referring to Peter kind of getting out of the boat. But to be honest with you, I don't want to know 
the inspiration behind the wording of, the, of that song. Because when it comes to a song, sometimes interpretation can be left up to the listener. And this is one of those instances for me. When we sing that song here at church, or when I hear that song on the radio, for whatever reason, I always picture the prodigal's walk home from the pig pen to his father's house. I, I picture him walking home very nervous, very malnourished, very defeated, rehearsing the speech that he's going to say to his father just as he's walking down the road, rehearsing it over and over again. I will say to my father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. His heart beating quicker and quicker as he approaches his hometown. The more familiar his surroundings are, the more regret over, the, over his past wells up inside of him. The text says the father sees him. And at this point, I think he sees the father, and the father comes running to him. And I can't help but think, in the back of his mind, is he watching his father's hands, seeing, are there rocks in his hands? Are there going to be people, people come up behind him? I'm a rebellious son. I, I've come home. Is he rushing me? Is he rushing out to stone me because I've broken the law? I mean, by now, the young man's heart has to be racing like a marathon. He'd come a long way from a distant country. He was dirty and probably almost certainly unrecognizable. But his father saw him. And he recognized him. He ran to him. He threw his arms around him. And he kissed him. I want to read you a verse from that song, How He Loves Us. It's my favorite part of the song. It says this, quote, so heaven meets earth like a sloppy, wet kiss. And my heart turns violently inside of my chest. I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about the way that he loves us. The, the line that always gets me is when heaven meets earth like a sloppy, wet kiss. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, there are a lot of people in the evangelical community that are not comfortable with that line. They don't sing that line. They say an unforeseen kiss. There's a lot of controversy over that wording. But I absolutely love it. Because that's what's going on in the text that we're in. When it says that his father kissed him, in the original language, in the original Greek language, it's painting a picture of being smattered with kisses. Okay, not like a 34-year-old man coming home from blowing all his father's money on wild women and reckless living, but like a four-year-old boy who has been lost in the woods for days and he shows up miraculously back home unharmed. You're going to pick that boy up. You're going to smatter that boy with kisses. You're going to say, he's home. He's safe. He's alive. He was lost. We found him. Rejoice with me. Come to my house. We're having a party tonight because he has finally made it home safe. You see, love is a verb. It's a continual action. It's a continual choice. It's a continual promise. It's the kind of love the Father has 
for his son in the text. It's the kind of love our father has for us. It doesn't make sense. It seems extravagant. It seems wasteful. It seems that the prodigal in the story, the extravagant one, was not the son the whole time, but rather the father. This entire chapter, Luke 15, is about things that are lost and that are found, and then there's rejoicing. But there is never any mention made to the cost the father had to pay. And there's no mention of the cost because it was an extravagant cost, as was the cost of our heavenly father. God's love for you is extravagant. He spared none of his resources, including his own son, Jesus Christ, to show us that love. In the city of uh, San Francisco, there's a lot of these little stores that sell both worthless souvenirs and valuable antiques. And so you'll have savvy shoppers always trying to find real treasure among the debris. Well, one particular day, a man walked into one of these stores and he came across an unremarkable cat drinking milk from the saucer on the floor. The man immediately recognized the saucer was a piece of chinaware from the Ming dynasty worth millions of dollars. And here it was on the floor with a cat drinking milk out of it. He thought the shop owner obviously had no idea the worth of this thing. So immediately, the man started scheming how he was going to get it cheap without the shop owner knowing what he was selling to the man. So he turned to the shop owner and he said, hey, that's a very striking cat that you have there. I'd like to buy your cat. Well, answered the shopkeeper, the cat is not really for sale. The man said, no, 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 I insist. Would you take $500 for that cat? Shop owner's eyes got very big and said, that's very generous. I don't think this cat is worth $500, but if you want the cat so badly, then sure, you can have it. Well, the man paid for the cat, and as if he had just thought of it, he said, oh, oh one, one more thing. I'm going to need something to use as a feeding dish for the cat. So I'll give you another $5 for that little saucer you have there on the floor. Oh, I could never do that, said the shopkeeper. You see, that's no ordinary saucer. That's a piece of rare china from the Ming dynasty, and it's worth millions of dollars. But amazingly enough, ever since I started feeding my cats out of it, I've sold 12 of those cats. I'll give you a minute to recover from that terrible joke. But it does teach us something. The shopkeeper degraded something of great value to upgrade the worth of his cats. God also used something of great value to redeem us and to give us life. Jesus, who was degraded on the cross so that we could be upgraded to eternal life. And as a result, we have become precious treasures. He sees us. He runs to us, he embraces us, and he kisses us. But only after we come to him, 
only after we repent, only after we admit what the young prodigal admitted to himself and to the world. Father, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. When we do that, God's response is just like the Father's. Yeah, you are worthy to be called my son. My son you are and my son you will remain. Look at verse 24 again. It's an important, we missed this. But he says, for this son, for my son. He didn't say, my former son, who I disowned, who I, who I don't love anymore. He said, for my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and found. And they began to celebrate. This brings us back to 1 John 3.1, the passage we ended with last week and the passage that we will use to close out this series. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And here's the money phrase. And that is what we are. Friends, the prodigal in the story is the Father. He loves us with this beautiful, extravagant, sometimes seemingly wasteful love and mercy and grace that he pours out on us. But he does it because as we've been saying during this whole series, he does it because he is good. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.